It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Levy. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder. A very unique series, but maybe that's true with all of my series. Have you ever noticed that I, ne- I always have a unique series going on? So maybe I should just say, uh, if, if it isn't unique, maybe I should draw attention to that. But this is on femininity in a, in a very large sense. Uh, but ver- specifically, we're talking about the bride. And to understand the bride, uh, the bride of Christ is this incredible picture of what femininity is meant to, in a sense, prepare us to understand, which is our relationship with our bridegroom, Jesus. And that's always strange, a bit strange for us as men, to recognize that we are commissioned to be a bride, and yet we're called to be men. So how does this work? And yet, to recognize this symbol of what the church of Jesus Christ represents, I don't need to become a woman to behave as the Christian that I'm called to, be, but at the same time, there is a dimension of femininity that is glorious and is revealed in and through the church and their dependence. There's, there's a, a simple rule of thumb that we see come out of scripture, and that is that the man is the stronger vessel and the woman is the weaker vessel, which of course sounds politically incorrect, but that's the state with the church. The church is the weaker vessel that needs a strong head to protect it, to save it. And so we see this pattern being set where then in our relationship in this earth with male, female, uh, in marriage and in the dynamics of the church, we are meant to reveal the invisible realm. And so as we go through this, this is the third session in this series, and I I threw in Sunday's uh, session, which is our service on Sunday, into this series, and I'm really glad I did, to be honest with you. I think it was very powerful. And it was about dependence, really, if we're going to break it down. And uh, yesterday, uh, we, or, I'm sorry, it was on Monday that we had the, the second uh, session. And uh, these all are going to weave together, but this one's called Pierced. And, uh, sorry, I haven't turned on my clicker, but that's, that's like a tradition of traditions, isn't it? And my clicker's not working. So, uh, so, was that me or was that you? That was you. Okay, well, we might need to keep that going. Uh, So, Silent was Monday. That was the name of it. And that's a difficult, dangerous territory to traverse when you're talking in the church and you say, women, you need to be silent. Because it is so quickly misunderstood of what that means. For a woman to be silent, uh, because we, we see it in Scripture, even though we see it with awkwardness and we're like I'm I'm God do you actually mean that that you don't want women to speak in the church and so what I gave you is I gave you the illustration of like my my son so Kipling is 11 and Reese is uh, seven and if I am disciplining Reese then Kipling should keep his mouth shut about it okay it's not his position to speak into that realm And so when you understand that it is not your position, it is inappropriate for Kipling to begin to try and discipline Reese or to correct Reese. And you'll notice if you watch the two of them in their relationship, if Kipling tries to correct Reese, Reese doesn't respond well to it. 
And it's not just because of a rebellious spirit in Reese, it's out of order. It's out of line and it creates dissension in the Ludi home. So what would I say as a father? Kip, I need you to be silent. Okay, now it isn't a diminishment of Kip's value. It is an understanding of Kip's place in that situation. And there's certain roles that we each play. And Reese knows that daddy can speak in that situation. He will listen to daddy. And as a result, it's important that daddy takes his place in that and brings the proper order. And so silence, and I have a a, a follow-up to that, silent before the word. And then today is pierced, and then I have a follow-up, by the master. And then on Friday, we're going to cover poured out for the king. And these elements of what I would say is a feminine revelation of dependence that we learn to take our position with love and with honor and with respect to let God's word be the one that speaks. He's the head. And so as the bride of Christ, we are silent before his word. We don't come in with our opinions. As a pastor of a church or as a leader in this training school, if I come in with my opinions, my philosophies, I am transgressing the kingdom of heaven. But if I'm going to edify you, I need to be silent before the word. And where, it is, where I'm wrong and different than it, I need to be quiet and recognize that it's his voice that must speak. And when I do speak, I speak in agreement with that word. In other words, he speaks first, I follow. In our home, it's not that Kip doesn't speak. He speaks all the time, right? But there are certain elements or arenas of our home where he shouldn't speak. And that's the same with the church of Jesus Christ. It's not that women don't speak in the church. It's just that there's certain arenas in the church, which is basically governing authority, where that becomes more of a tangible, practical uh, thing to understand. Uh, I'm going to need the next slide. Uh, do we know what's going on with, with this? Uh, so the Hebrew bondservant, uh, one of circumcised ears. So that's an unusual term for it, but a Hebrew bondservant, as, as we will go through in the upcoming scripture here, is one that is done something as a, as a show of love and dependence. And they have been set free by their master, and yet because of love, they have returned to their master and said, I want to serve you for life. And so let's read that scripture. Unfortunately, I don't have the clicker, so I can't move it forward. Exodus 21, one through six. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master. Isn't that an interesting statement? If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master. You actually see this as a free will offering. You recognize that it's this servant that has been set free, but he is deliberately choosing of his own will and volition to say, out of love, I desire to return. I actually don't want, I know I'm free, so praise God for that, but I actually want to serve him. I w- so if he shall plainly say, I love my master, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the door post, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. I, I, the word bore is a little strong uh, for most of us, but pierce. He's going to pierce his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So there's going to be an external marking 
on a bondservant that is going to declare that he belongs to someone. Now, why would the ear be chosen? It's an interesting question to just let float through the air. What does the ear symbolize? But hearing, of course, and obedience. In other words, how can you know what your master would ask of you unless you hear it? And so a circumcised ear or an ear that is set apart, that is actually declared with an external symbol to be one dedicated and consecrated unto a master, a very specific master. And so this is a legal transaction that is saying, I have an ear for you. And so what we are seeing is an incredible picture of one dependent upon someone else. It is also a picture of what we could say the bride of Christ unto the bridegroom, Jesus. So bondservant, the word in the Greek is dolos. Now it's interesting because we have doulas today. And I mean, there's like all these, these women that are doulas. If you're, if you're pregnant and about to have a child, you hear about doulas. And they're, they're women that will attend to a birth and they're basically a, a servant. That, that's actually what the Greek word is. But this idea is a slave, a bondman, Listen to this definition, one given up to another's will. Isn't that a a fascinating statement? You see, there is a dimension of dependence that God actually wired into the way that he designed us. And when he sets us free in and through his shed blood, we are free. We are free indeed. However, Christianity thrives, and you will know my disciples because of something. Now, they are, his disciples are going to not just take this freedom and do whatever they want with it, but they're going to take it and come back to their master whom they love. And they're going to say, pierce my ear. I want to be your servant. I want to remain here with you. So what is a bond servant? What is this doula? It's one bonded to Christ out of love and affection. It's one enslaved to the awesome power of love. One given wholly to love's mastery over the heart, mind, soul, and strength. One set free from the chains and punishments of sin by the blood of Christ, who is now returned, ravished with love to pay his rescuer homage and worship. A bondservant is one wholly given to the person of Christ as Lord, master, king, ruler, bridegroom, and friend. A bondservant is one of circumcised ears, pierced with the all of the Spirit, eager and able to hear his master's voice and ready and attentive to his every command. In the New Testament, a bondservant's life is one owned and operated by the Spirit of Almighty God. So the circumcised ear, it's fascinating because we have this picture with a bondservant, a doula, uh, in Scripture, but actually it's it's replete throughout Scripture. There's a lot that is said about the ear and it being consecrated or circumcised. It's it's really interesting. So let's go through a few of those. In Psalm 45, which is going to be a parallel with the Song of Solomon, we see it says, Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. That's an interesting statement. Incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people in thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. Incline thine ear. Hey, present your ear unto him. In other words, there's this reality of the Song of Solomon of a bridegroom and a bride, and there's something about the woman submitting her ear. Isn't that just a fascinating statement? Isaiah 55, 3, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear 
and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. In Jeremiah 6.10, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. So in this situation, we see the opposite, where if no one has a circumcised ear, who can hear? Because they can't hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church, or unto Israel, in this situation, because their ear is not circumcised. And then in Luke 22, in the New Testament, we see, and one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, suffer you thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now, that is somewhat of an obscure statement, right? I mean, you have, we know it's a guy named Malchus. And, but it's fascinating that the Bible is going to go into such detail of even telling us which ear it was, which is very significant uh, that it's the right ear, right? And look at what Jesus does is he heals the right ear. And that is profound in the whole schematic. I mean, when Jesus is healing blindness, it's profound. If I were to go into that, I mean, it's just profound because he is the light, right? But he's also the one that is actually going to set aright our hearing. So I love that. Revelation 1.1. In the very beginning of Revelation, John, the apostle, is going to describe who he is. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants. Isn't that interesting? Who was who was this revelation given to? It was given to a bondservant named John, who we'll see he'll actually call himself a bondservant. But then it's given to his bondservants. Well, who are the bondservants? Those with circumcised ears. Now that becomes very, very significant in the book of Revelation because over and over with all the seven churches, each one is going to get the same statement. And I'm guessing you know what it is. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Well, we all have ears. No, we all don't have circumcised ears because these are ears that are set apart to hear what the Spirit says. That's a bondservant. So it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Interesting terminology there. It's not to his apostle, John. John is going out of his way to declare his position that he is a bondservant. Now, well, that, that's a strange position to be in. I, John, you were the friend of Jesus. How did you become his bondservant? He's set free by the shed blood of Jesus. And as an apostle, he's free, right? As Paul would say. And yet with that freedom, he returns unto his master and says, take my ear and pierce it. I will serve you with my life. I have an ear for my master. Revelation 2.7 is just an example because it's with every one of the churches. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So who has an ear? Well, it would be those that have deliberately submitted themselves and inclined their ear unto their master, unto their Lord. And so the feminine position in this is yeah, strange to call it feminine, but it is the bride position. The bride position is that of a bondservant, that of a dependent one. The servant isn't in charge of the house. The slave is not in charge of the house. The master is. And so do we understand who the master is? In our role as the bride of Christ, we incline our ear and we say, Lord, pierce it. 
It's out of love that I will serve you. Oops. Okay, so I'm going to give three different takes of Jesus saying this exact same thing. He doesn't just say it to the churches in Revelation, but in Matthew eleven fifteen, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And in Matthew 13, 9, who has ears to hear, let him hear. And in Mark 7, 16, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so I, do you get the idea that this is actually an idea that Jesus is saying, look, those that will hear will be bondservants. So why do we get the picture of a bondservant in the Old Testament? To prepare us for this. Now what's interesting is there's a dimension that's going to come out that we covered on Monday of the priesthood, the priesthood of the believer, because we talked about there's two. And in the two, we have king, priest. And so we also have male, female. We have husband, wife. We have these two and they they're essential for the health of Israel that they learn to work together and they know their role. A king should never enter into the holy place. Okay, That actually happened once where one of the kings came in to the holy place and actually had a lepros- got leprosy because of it. I mean, it was a disaster area because he presumed upon God, but that wasn't his position. That wasn't his role. And a priest should never attempt to sit on the throne, right? Unless he is the king. And so what's amazing about Jesus is he is the king and priest. He is the fulfillment of all of it. But we reveal the twos. We reveal the male, female. We understand these roles that we play and that we don't try and usurp the other role, but that we support the other role. A healthy Israel is, a, is found when a king supports the priesthood and allows the priesthood to thrive and where the priesthood supports the king and allows him to govern well. And so what we see is this amazing picture of the priesthood are those, and I'm going to show you this in just a second, are those with circumcised ear. The priests, to become priests and to function in the house as keepers of the house, which we're going to see in Titus, that, I know, it's a little awkward and strangely politically incorrect to say that women are to be keepers of the home, But to recognize what that parallels with is the Levitical or the Levite position in the Old Testament. They were keepers of the house of the Lord. And as a result, in the New Testament, you're going to see the parallel between the man and the woman where the woman becomes a picture of the dependent one or the priest. And so uh, here we have in Exodus 29, which has always been a very profound picture for me. When I would travel around the world and speak, a lot of times I would finish with this little piece from Exodus 29, just because it's like, if I'm gonna summarize Christianity, you know, if I have just a little short time and a short window with an audience, and I really want them to capture the essence of what Christianity is, Exodus 29. And I know that sounds strange because it's a, it's a really strange scripture. <laughs> if I just read the scripture, I'll read the scripture and then I'll give you some context. Then they shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle blood all around on the altar. That's strange. And yet, this is the consecration of the priests. So there's this very elaborate process we're going through in Exodus 29 because these men, including Aaron, are being set apart to keep the house. Isn't that... It's extremely fascinating. This is a picture. Aaron is a picture of the high priest, Jesus. Of course, the ram that is killed and his blood is used as a consecrating element is a picture of Christ. 
Everything about this is a picture of Christ, and yet it's also a picture of those that will serve alongside of Christ. You have Aaron and his priests. And so you have Christ and those that are going to work in this house with him. It is not good that man should be alone. Or let me say it this way. It is not good that the man should do his work alone. He desires the priests with him. He desires the helpmate. And so as a result, what we see is this incredible picture. It's not just one man that is given a job. It is a man and these priests. And these priests are going to be set apart with him to do this work. And so there's a very specific ceremony that is unfolding in front of us where a ram is killed and Aaron is to put his hand in that blood, dip his finger in it, and then the priest is to incline their ear unto the high priest and that high priest will smear their right ear with blood and is going to then smear their thumb with blood, their right thumb, and then their right big toe. <laughs> Something very unpoetic about the big toe of their right foot. I don't know, big toe is just an unpoetic statement, isn't it? I mean, there needs to be a better way of saying it than that. And I think another translation says his great toe. And for some reason that does sound a little more elegant than big toe. But we all know what it means, at least. And so what are the, what, what's being said in and through that? And so this is why it's just such an incredible enunciation of Christianity is, first of all, the right side of the body, just as a review for those of you, because I don't know if I've said it this entire series so far, is, this, is the side of strength, authority, and power and dominion. And so the right side of the body is the side of strength. And so the left side is oftentimes significant and symbolic of dependence. And so what you'll see is the bride leans on the strong right arm of the groom. So as they're coming out of the wilderness, the bride leans on the strong right arm of her, of her bridegroom. And that strong right arm, his strength becomes her strength when she depends. And so what you see in this is you see God asking for their right. It's like, will you incline your right, your right ear? the way you think it should be, where you, what you believe is true. Would you trust that I can define truth for you? And so we submit our ear. You know how hard it is to submit our ear practically in our life? You know that we actually think we know what is best? It is a weird phenomenon that we are a created being, but we have a propensity to look towards our potter and tell him how he should be shaping us. We have a tendency to be wise in our own eyes. A submission of the right ear is a submission of will. It is the submission of that which is right and true. To say, God, I believe that you define it. And what you ask of me, I will agree with it. I will not try and outthink you, but I will submit. And this is one of my favorite descriptions of it, is that the submission of the right ear, the inclining of the right ear, is basically saying, Yes, Lord, even before he asks something. So in other words, what you're saying is, yes, Lord. And he's like, well, I haven't even asked you to do anything yet. Yeah, I know, but I just want you to know I've already predecided that my answer is going to be yes, Lord, when you do. And that's Christianity in a nutshell, that we are submitting ourselves to God not to evaluate each and every uh, obedience test and to say, hmm, should I obey now or should I disobey? There is no question because you've already decided, yes, Lord. You've already submitted, so what he asks, your answer is already yes. 
It's the pre-decided, yes, Lord. And so I love that idea of the bride inclining her ear unto the high priest to let him smear that ear with blood. And now we have an ear for the master. So he who has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Yeah, we have that ear now because we have submitted our right, our way, what we think is the most appropriate. We say, God, you know. I mean, it's only logical that we would submit ourselves and our minds and, our, and our, our, our thoughts and our obedience to God as opposed to think that it should be held in our hands. So the thumb, the right thumb, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting statement, but if I were to ask you out of all the human body, what is the best bodily symbol of control? Well, it'd be the right side, and it would be that thumb. This thumb gives grip. It's, it's hard. It'd be hard to have a really strong grip if you don't have a thumb, but if you have a thumb, I mean, you're, you're tough. Uh, to, I mean, Harper, if, if you've ever seen her precious hands, right, she has an incredible grip. She has that thumb going, and she's, <laughs> she locks in, so I'll be tickling her, and she'll go, <laughs> And she'll lock into my hand, and I try and get it out, and she's like one tough cookie with that thumb. And that thumb is a symbol to us. And God says, I'd like that thumb. He's not asking for the left thumb. He's asking for the right thumb. It's your control. It's your way of doing things. It's the way you would want them to be done. And many of us have a propensity to control our circumstances, to control people in our life, instead of, give our thumb to the high priest and say, smear it with blood. And then he goes to the big toe. What is the big toe? Well, I would say it's where we go. It is our direction in life because we lead with that toe. And God's saying, where you go, I would like to define that. Would you submit your right big toe to me? He's asking for the right side of our body. He's asking for our power, our control, our authority to be relinquished, that we would deny ourself and that we would come follow him. Isn't that an incredible picture that you see in and through the right side in the ear? He says, follow me. And we say, but God, I have things I need to do. And he says, let go of that thumb. And he says, follow me. You see, everything about it is an incredible picture of Christianity in a nutshell. The bondservant, the doula, is actually what we are called to. I want to hear the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it's only those that are bondservants that will heed it and hear it. I want to be one with a pierced ear. I want to be the bride of Christ. You see, the feminine expression in the church is glorious. That's why I call this the beauty of the bride. It is wonderful. It is not something to be held with a derogatory tone. I understand where feminism comes from. It comes from a diminishment and a loss of vision for what femininity is. We all should be celebrating what femininity is because it's the essence, the expression. I mean, Proverbs 31 is an enunciation of a bride that is, her value is greater than rubies. There is something very, very precious in God's eyes with this one that is dependent. 
that is silent before his word and that is pierced by the master. And so let's just ponder that of our role today of how we can respond. Father, we want to stand before the high priest right now and incline our ear. Lord, many of us in here, even though we know the truth of the word, still wrangle and we still fight sometimes for position thinking that we may know better. But Lord, we just want to freshly submit to your word. We want to freshly stand before it and allow you to smear our ear with your blood. That we would offer to you the yes, Lord, that you deserve. Lord, if there is a point of obedience that we have moved past, may you bring us back to it. The last point where we forsook our yes, Lord, may we go back to that point, Lord, and freshly tread that territory in obedience. Lord, we just declare that you are worthy to lead our lives. And I pray that we would all understand how to function in that feminine expression of faith and dependence so that you would get the glory that you deserve. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.